Hailing frequencies open, and welcome to Star Trek Discoverage, the podcast, the live podcast, I should say, that boldly goes into excruciating detail about this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. I'm your host, Caliban, and if you ever need to find out if someone is really from Seattle, ask them where the best place for avocado toast is, and then you can compare notes with them. I'm joined on the show, as usual, by Ella Pearson. She's the co-host of the Generations Geek podcast on the Chronic Rift Network, and she's also our featured guest for the evening. Welcome, Ella. Hey, happy to finally be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, boy, what is going on with the CBS All Access? <laughs> you know, they're a brand new streaming service. I don't really blame them, but I wish they had predicted like a steady rise in viewers over yeah. the season, which I think is what might have happened. Yeah, but I, I hope that's what's happening. I actually... Yeah, me too. Uh, Speaking of millennials, I've got a cage millennial here. Um, something <laughs> I, I'm, I'm interested to see, like if it's uh, like a load, you know, on the servers or whatever that technical thing is. Um, you read about the problems on Twitter because you're a millennial. Uh, I found out when my PS4 <laughs> kept asking me if I was connected to the internet, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> I am. Um, I actually saw a uh, infographic this week uh, from I don't know Parrot analytics or something like that and they said that in terms of like audience demand and i'm not sure where these uh numbers come from but they're just saying as, as far as the demand expression star trek discovery is far and away leading all of its competitors in the digital sphere um, oh wow yeah and even just for and i don't know if this is like buzz or this is individual watches or consumptions of a show but they're only behind game of thrones in terms of like what the audience demand is and that's on a list with rick and morty walking dead uh, american horror story and so on and so forth so they're they're yeah, up that's there impressive yeah yeah um which is good but sometimes it leads to problems like uh when is this <laughs> show going to start working here because i want to watch this thing uh how do you watch the show uh, do, on tv or a laptop phone microwave um we have been using our roku on our tv oh, sure. um tonight um about halfway through we switched over to the computer and then it was uh smooth sailing oh okay that's weird okay so yeah. the roku is like is the computer on one kind of internet or, or cable or and the tv is nope. on another or it's all the same thing same thing huh okay <laughs> Well, um, I guess I wish I had an investigative reporter I could send after that, but we'll just have to wonder <laughs> and hope it doesn't continue uh, in week seven. But this is week six. We've just watched episode six of Star Trek Discovery entitled Lethe, and we're here to break it down for you. As always, we're setting a course for the spoiler zone, listeners, so be warned. Uh, we're glad you decided to join us, but if you haven't seen the episode, and with tonight's technical difficulties, it's possible that you haven't. <laughs> Spoilers are incoming. Uh, the official synopsis for the episode this week is the U.S. Discovery crew is intrigued by the new addition, Lieutenant Ash Tyler. Sarek seeks Burnham's help, rekindling memories from her past, and Admiral Cornwell questions Lorca's tactics. And that's pretty close to the vest as far as a summary of an episode goes. And we're yeah. also... Uh, we, this episode features a return of Sarek, played by James Frain, of course, and something we can talk about in a bit, but a huge mention of an original series character, Spock. In particular, <laughs> a major plot point rests on the very existence of Spock. And I don't want to do that thing that I do every week where I say that this is my new favorite episode, but uh, might be my new favorite episode. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um like I said, I think last week, I really like the fact that the show, okay, they're going to do this uh, serial thing, serial st uh, storytelling. I like the fact that we can just get into it, you know, and we're we're neck deep in it now. And this episode looks amazing. I mean, I got to give kudos to director Douglas um, Arnikoski for that. Um, 
because it just looks fantastic in terms of the colors, and I think a lot of the shots were great. Um, screw that guy for directing Highlander Endgame, but that's a different story. <laughs> Not a very good film. Have you ever covered the Highlander films on Generations Geek? Oh, we haven't, and I haven't seen them either. <laughs> Uh-oh, there you go. Well, that, you know, that leads to another question that I was going to ask you. Um, I think that you guys, you have a show coming pretty soon, hopefully, about uh, yes. Alien. <laughs> Or like, yes, um, you... we have a show coming up about Alien, right. but um, we are part of the Chronic Rift Network, so okay. um, on when the show is released, um, there's kind of a schedule, and because our show came out of nowhere, it got folded into the schedule a little bit later than we had okay. planned, but sure. it's coming up very soon, sure. <laughs> so keep an eye out. And Alien is, I mean, uh, your co-host and father, Scott, is, uh, <laughs> you know, he's a geek from way back. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure that you get exposed to a lot of like, quote unquote, classic geekery. But is there anything that is new, fresh, uh, has come out this year or recently that you would put up against all this old stuff that he keeps dragging out? Oh, my gosh. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Teen Wolf. I, 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 no, I don't know. No, I don't watch Teen Wolf. <laughs> oh my God. It's my tendency. Well, see, I feel like I, um, exist kind of in the middle in that I'm not really old enough to remember Alien, but you know, I immediately, as soon as I was aware of it, went back and watched it. And then mm-hmm. I've, I'm lucky enough to have made it to Star Trek Discovery. Um, even like the reimagined Battlestar Galactica and new stuff like that. And so I feel like I can enjoy both of those things. But when you sit down to watch, say, original series or even TNG, are you like, okay, I got to dust off these guys and watch this <laughs> and hope that it's good and sort of meets my standards for entertainment? Not at all. I I was going to say that I'm like old enough to remember Star Trek Discovery, and that's pretty much all. And I grew up on TOS and sure. all kinds of old movies, and I love them to death. And just this weekend, we were... Um, at my grandma's house and they have this retro TV station out there <laughs> and I was playing a board game and heard um, Star Trek the original series come on and immediately <laughs> like stopped and moved so I could watch it and then like refused to play anymore until I could go sit and watch for a little while Sure. I and any old movie that I watch I just I love it I have no complaints about watching older stuff well that's great that's great I think that that is a great attitude and a lot of it's really good too I'm kind of doing a um, rewatch of the original series right now, um, just for fun, really. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the third season, and <laughs> a lot of it is as bad as they say, uh, but not all of it <laughs> is as bad as... There's some good ones in the third season, for sure. Well, um, Discovery doesn't have to deal with that just yet. We're only in the first season, and this is an episode that continues to develop uh, the ongoing storyline of just what's going on in this Klingon war, spore, drive situation. Hey, I got a question for you, totally out of nowhere. This has baffled me every week. Opening sequence, we see a lot of elements that return in the show. What are the green crystals that are flying around in the very first part of the opening sequence? I I honestly have no idea what you're talking about. So it comes out. It's all we're going to watch. We're going to listen to the the striking theme, very memorable, of Star Trek Discovery. And then the uh, ship is being put together and it's all these sort of drafting sort of design lines. And there's all these like little crystals that float by. Yeah. I think I know what you're talking about and I don't have an answer for you. I have no idea. Like it's, I don't <laughs> I think I just it's, accept it. Yeah. Well, that, I mean I did too until this very moment. Like it's not kryptonite. Uh dilithium <laughs> is generally shown to be like white or pinkish. Uh so I'm not even sure what it's supposed to be, but 
That's another mystery to send our investigative reporter that we'll have to hire uh, out to <laughs> go check that out. Uh, so this episode uh, opens presumably on Vulcan, although it can't be Vulcan because I see two moons in the sky. Oh, and, really? Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I'm assuming that it's Vulcan because, you know, it's Sarek taking off from planet. And yeah. Unless it's a gigantic planet like you see in the sky two <laughs> moons. And, of course, we know Vulcan has no moon. And I feel like that they have violated that over and over again in uh the animated series episode uh yesteryear that takes place on vulcan we see a moon in the sky so what was uh, spock smoking when he said that that's what i want to know because apparently vulcan <laughs> totally has a moon uh and it looks like Sarek is off on a diplomatic mission that we learn later on is to um a to klingons to uh two um leaders of uh, two houses or factions that aren't necessarily on board for cole's crusade against the federation although not everything is what it seems and his ship is the victim of a bombing by this guy who does like um you've seen iron man 3 right of course he does like an iron man 3 thing you know where he gives himself you know extremists I, or something. I was thinking about agents of shield i oh, really yeah. was oh, that too yeah yeah right yeah so that was a little weird. And he's part of the Vulcan. Well, they call them Vulcan extremists. And I'm like, come on, you can't come up with like a name. Vulcans have cool names for everything. Like what would the Vulcan extremist name be? Isn't some of this stuff um, covered in Enterprise? You know, um, it might be uh, when I get to my Enterprise rewatch. I guess I'll know better. <laughs> but um, possibly uh, I'm going to call them Vulcans. They're not Vulcans. They're Vul Vulcans. Um, but yeah, dumb. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so we see them. It's the first appearance of them on this show. We see uh, Mia Kirshner for the first time as Amanda. And as Sarek is going through this experience where he's apparently um, wounded and drifting in this nebula on his ship, he's uh, lost in this sort of reverie or this oblivion of memory, which is, I assume, where we get our title Lethe from. And they have to use Michael Burnham and her connection to Sarek to sort of home in on him. Which is convenient. It's convenient that they have that connection. It is. <laughs> I think they call it's been it very convenient so yeah. far. Well, it has, and I think they call it like a. See, they have a fun name for that. They call it a soul graft, uh, which is they're somehow bonded or, or or some kind of connection. Do you? Let me run something by you. Uh, do you know the term a Mary Sue? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so you're familiar with the term. Uh, if our yes. audience isn't familiar, what it generally means, it actually uh, came from Star Trek, or the world of Star Trek and Star Trek fan fiction, but it's the idea that an author writes a character, usually the main character, into their story that is supposedly, whether consciously or unconsciously, supposed to be kind of a self-insert character, and that character's like really cool and real good with a batleth, and like Captain Kirk wants them to like you know take the chair and, and fly her out there a little bit. And it's just it tends it's evolved into a character that just seems to have a lot of to be over kind of overpowered in the story and have a lot of things that are kind of connected to them. And I'm wondering how close you think Michael Burnham uh, gets to the idea of that, if you believe in the idea of of the Mary Sue. That's an interesting question. I asked the tough questions. Um. I have a lot of feelings about Mary Sue's in general because I think it's really easy um, to just equate it with – because – let me start over. Sure. I'm not used to being on a live podcast. <laughs> you are now. Um, so many times I feel like 
fan fiction is written and people start calling the main character Mary Sue, but the fan fiction is written about a series or um, a book that features mostly male characters. Uh-huh. Um, so whether or not it's a self-insert isn't so much the problem as whatever girl is writing it isn't seeing herself and girls like her represented in her favorite thing. Right. So she writes it and it ends up becoming a Mary Sue. Um, so I don't necessarily hate on it because I've been there. <laughs> right. Um, although I wouldn't call Michael Burnham, a Mary Sue. I, f- well, for me, I guess her mutiny would be something that would make her differ from any other Mary Sue character like ever. Yeah. Um, especially the the way in which it happened because her captain wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong. Her captain was following the rules. Yeah. And she made the decision that following the rules wasn't okay and like actually physically assaulted her. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I don't know. I think if I, if I was writing a Mary Sue in Star Trek, my character would never do that. Yeah. I uh, think um, just I think that part of the hallmark of like a trademark Mary Sue is being a little bit of a flat character. Like you can predict everything that's going to happen. Yeah. And I don't know how many people predicted that she was going to do that in the first episode. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really great point. I don't I don't think that that's true necessarily. I'm not I'm not even validating like the concept, but I just yeah. I up to this point I I I assume like on the boards or the forums there are horrible people who are leveling accusations of Mary Sue against the character in the show. Mm-hmm. And I never felt that way. It just this is the first episode where I was like, well that's really convenient and it's like she's got the special power and so we got to just plug her into the thing and it'll be fine like it was more of a question of like plot convenience for me than any thing about the character because as you said i totally agree i still think that the character is like gloriously flawed um in especially in her actions in the first couple episodes you know and i'm having fun tracking her sort of redemptive arc but yeah i mean the fact that you could plug her into the glowy thing and then she's going to be able to find sarek it was like all right yeah, and it's also interesting because doesn't Sarek do the same thing with, like, Captain Picard? Am I totally wrong? Uh, the episode in, in TNG where they uh, yeah. they sort of mind meld? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he has <laughs> – so in the future, Sarek also grafts himself onto Captain <laughs> Picard. But right. first, he did it to his foster daughter. He's kind of liberal with his grafting. <laughs> He'll graft with anybody, that guy. Uh, I think it's interesting that we do slightly, not as much as I'd like, but we do uh, delve into the character of Sarek in this episode and we explore his, something that always fascinates me about him, which is his fascination with humans. Um, you know, he's married a human several times. He raised, now we know, two human or half-human children. And we still don't have an answer, I'm not sure that we need one or that there'll ever be one, about what he sees in humans um, because he can be very... It's hard to read a Vulcan because they're so logical and sometimes disdainful, but I kind of wonder what it is. Maybe it's maybe we're seeing it, the origin of this, when he raises somebody who's so exceptional like Michael Burnham, that sort of helps solidify his idea that humans are really great. But he'd already, you know, met Amanda and had Spock at that point. So why, why do you think Sarek seemed to like humans so much? You know, I 
don't know if I could tell you. I really love Sarek. I love anything to do with Vulcan. Yeah. And honestly, I just think he sees like a lot of good in people, especially since like humans were the ones to like kickstart the Federation, I feel like. Right. And I think he sees very early on that that's going to be a huge asset. Yeah. Well, he's not wrong. Yeah. So at least he is um, right or sort of predictive in that way. Um, I think that it's, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, he's, he really seems to like um, humans and human people. And, and I think it's funny how the show, I like the fact that discovery has taken a lot of risks and I like the, the element in this uh, episode in particular, in which we see that the Vulcans aren't happy about that. They're like, you know what? We don't want a human in the Vulcan uh, expeditionary group or whatever it's called. Like, we're not interested in that. Uh, Spock, you know, is going to go out and be in Starfleet or, or whatever, and that's fine. But uh, we don't really want that. And then we, we get to see that Sarek has to make this choice. And what they've promised, I've read this week that the producers have promised that we'll never see Spock on the show. And I say, good. But they have no problem leveraging uh, the existence of his character in a major point where we see that Sarek basically has to you know, make Sophie's choice. He's got to pick one kid over the other here. And he eventually sort of sponsors Spock and has to let uh, Burnham go by the wayside. And it's heartbreaking really for, to see that for both those characters. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say that I was heartbroken. Um, obviously it was, it was a little hard with um, the freezing and everything, but I think this episode, uh, has been my favorite so far just because what we get to see of Sarek and um, we get to see Burnham like really fighting him on it. Yeah. Yeah. I I like the fact that she feels that she can confront him. Yeah. Um, And that she, (laughs) we get, uh, it was a little clumsy, uh, although I know what they're doing. It's sort of like character beats, but at the end where she sits down uh, with Tyler and she's talking to him and then she like reintroduces herself and she's kind of mm-hmm. like beep beep boop boop what are my emotions <laughs> it's like <laughs> all right we get it you're raised by vulcans we understand uh there's a lot of kind of name droppy stuff in this they name drop the enterprise specifically which i thought was uh very interesting uh and i think they're talking at the beginning about you know if tilly really wants to make captain she's got to get off this ship and get onto a, a big starship like uh the uh the like the enterprise and i think um if she tries a little more, she could probably edge out Chekhov. I think she'd probably be okay. If she just <laughs> hangs, around, hangs around for a few years. Yeah. Uh, also, the Vulcans are making such a huge deal out of uh, not really wanting Burnham around. Sarek thinks that she could be a connection in between the two cultures. And we get, in my mind, a sort of negative space tease in that, are we in the Kelvin timeline or the original timeline or not? Because nobody says anything about T'Pol. Do you Do you think that it might be in the Abrams timeline? Well, we've never, except for the fact that, you know, David Mack, Anthony Rapp, <laughs> many people connected to the thing have just said, yes, it, don't worry about it. It is. There are still many fans, and there's one conspiracy theory I want to talk about in a little bit, but we'll get there, um, who have this theory that it's like they're, they're playing, they're being cagey about uh, what timeline it really is in. And so we get things like, oh, sure, Amanda. Well, she was in the Kelvin movies. Um, we get Spock, but that doesn't really violate anything. We've got, you know, Pike. We know that Pike is in the movies. We've never had anything really huge like, I don't know, Garth of Izar or or T'Pol. Or, you know, we did get Archer. That's true. But I, I feel like T'Pol was a pretty big connection between the Vulcan and the human races. 
Yeah. I, again, I'm, I haven't finished Enterprise. <laughs> I'm mostly scarred by her scenes with Trip on Vulcan, so... Yeah, all right. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, forget I brought it up. Back to Ash Tyler. So are they going to make out or what? What's going on? <laughs> you know, I think... Oh, go ahead. Last week when we talked, I said that I didn't trust him yeah. and I don't want to trust him. But that when they first sat down with him in the beginning of the episode, yeah. what he said to her about like, you know, he's like, I see you now like as a hard working Starfleet officer and like that's who you are. I think that was really sweet. Yeah. Like how many people have said something like that to her? Yeah. When she got there, you know, the first thing Tilly said to her was. Oh, Michael, like the only girl I know of that's named Michael is the mutineer. <laughs> right. So I see it's interesting to see her form this connection with him when she was so cagey, even with Tilly, who was obviously just a sweetheart. Yeah. I am finding myself really liking the character, which is why I think yeah. it's too bad that he's hiding a secret. He's not actually from Seattle. He's from just outside of Seattle. <laughs> and hey, if you've ever been to Seattle... Uh, that's that's a big deal. That's a huge difference. I don't know if you've ever like uh, left, gone outside the city limits of Seattle, but it goes from urban to Keith Urban real quick. It's <laughs> uh, no wonder that he's so good at it's hunting exactly things. Exactly like that here. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no, I'm talking about the real uh, conspiracy theory that surrounds uh, Ash Tyler. Do you, have you heard this? Do you know about it? No. Oh, good. I get to. Oh, good. <laughs> Hold on. Let me put my tinfoil hat on. Ignore the crinkling <laughs> sounds. So. Fans on the internet have this theory. So you've got Shazad Latif, uh, the actor who plays Ash Tyler. He also plays Clem Fandango on Stephen Toast or Toast of London, which you should watch if you haven't. Um, he is playing Ash Tyler. His name has been in the credits since the beginning, which is weird because he just shows up in the fifth episode, right? In the meantime, you've got this character named Valk, who is the, you know, the disciple of Takuvma. He's supposed to be the guy that if we're rooting for the Klingons, we're rooting for because he's going to, you know, change the empire and get everybody together and go do it. He's played a, by an actor named Javid Iqbal. If you look up Javid Iqbal on IMDb, he does not exist. I mean, he's got a page, he's got one credit, and it is Valk on Star Trek Discovery. There are no pictures of him on his IMDb page, which is very strange for, like, a young actor who has apparently got a big break in his first role. And people are theorizing that Shazad Latif plays Valk, that they are one and the same. Which then leads you to believe, first of all, why would they perpetrate this uh, this lie? And second of all, you get a character like Ash Tyler, who's so nice, and he's cute, and he's making eyes at Burnham, and he's helping her solve the problems, and they happen to just find him on a Klingon prison ship? That's weird. Really convenient. And people think that Valk has somehow gone to the matriarchs and like done something to himself and disguised himself so that he is... The boy, I hope I'm. <laughs> I thought everybody knew about this. Now I feel like maybe <laughs> I'm wrecking the entire show, but it should be wrecked if they can't keep it secret. Uh, so it's just, it's really strange. And there's a lot of weird things. It could be just be some kind of weird thing. Yeah, there's just this guy who's really good. We came red for the part. We cast him. He's never been acted before. But like, where's his picture? Where's his social media presence? He doesn't exist. So that's what people think. They think that somehow Ash Tyler will turn out to be Valk. That's what people think, or that's what you think? <laughs> oh, well, I'm starting to believe. I just report. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just a journalist. But it's, I feel like it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a convincing theory. It's uh, seductive. You know, I mean, I don't want to rule anything out, obviously. <laughs> but 
it see it seems far fetched. <laughs> <laughs> the the so what are the, the green crystals? That now there's a Klingon on the the special spooky Federation science ship, so he can <laughs> cause some destruction. Spy on them. Yes, right. Yes, find the secret of okay. their drive. Because <laughs> otherwise, we've dropped out. I mean, where is Vok? Like, why aren't we following his storyline? It's been two episodes now since we've seen him. I did, you know, I did notice that this episode yeah. that we only saw um, Cole, but um, wow, I feel like I've it's, com- I've it's coming around for you. Not reading <laughs> these conspiracy <laughs> theories online because you know we, the episode opens and he's playing paintball with Captain Lorca, and you know yeah. the, everything's working out there, and it's like I want you on my ship, and so he's ingratiated himself with the crew real fast. But he also, but he has some kind, he has records in Starfleet because Lorca had seen them. So then is the idea that Valk would be impersonating this dude who was taken yeah. prisoner? Well, okay. And the real Ash is like dead or still there? Yeah, that's, well, now you're asking me to defend a theory that's not mine. But if I had to, <laughs> I would say, yeah, they captured this guy. They tortured him to death and got information. Uh, maybe somehow he had he had clearance or he knew about, you know, what they were doing on the discovery in the Glen. And so they swapped him out for Valk. And then that's kind of what we're doing now. And I think that the reason that we're even bothering just from a screenwriter's perspective, the reason we're even bothering to have scenes where he's testing him about like, you know, where his favorite avocado place is in, in Seattle is so we later, we don't feel like the characters were so stupid for not even questioning later on. It's sort of like firming up his cover. Yeah, here's a, well then, here's a follow-up question. (laughs) Please. In, okay, in a universe where this theory is true, (laughs) um, is Mud involved? That's a good question. And that could tie in. Because they were like buddies. They Well, not buddies, obviously, the opposite of buddies. But they knew each other for seven months. Oh, yeah. So, plus Mud had him getting beaten up. Every other day. Yeah. Maybe because he thought hmm. he could take it. I don't know. That that would actually add a real dark spin to Mud's character. He wouldn't be uh, fun <laughs> Roger Carmel anymore if he was so complicit in this plot with the Klingons. Yeah, he's not just a hardcore Slytherin anymore. He's like, right <laughs> <laughs> kill all humankind. Yeah, but, yeah. exactly. Uh, well, anyway, let's lighten it up a little bit. Let's talk about my favorite <laughs> alien for this week. Uh, my favorite uh, favorite alien this week is green hair, forehead, lizard face lady that we see for just a few seconds in the opening scene in the cafeteria. There is this oh girl. Oh my gosh, I missed it. Yeah, you got to go back and pause it. Like the first couple minutes in the first cafeteria scene uh, where they're wearing their disco shirts. <laughs> really, mm-hmm. show? Really? Oh my gosh, I... <laughs> I... <laughs> need one of those shirts I so badly gasped yeah. when they came on screen with those <laughs> but there's a lady who uh she has kind of pale skin but then she's got you know like blue low lights you know in, in the jaw mm-hmm. and her eyes and then she's got like little looks like little greeny scales and green hair still no andorians though i know i can't i don't know I mean, they've got their own ships they're like the vulcans that's what it is <laughs> uh stamets or stamets is back this week and he's kind of um he's a little different than he used to be yeah, his okay. I'm glad that you said that because his tone was different. Yeah, when he that like weird thing when he 
basically just explained that the ship would blow up if the gas touched the <laughs> mushrooms or whatever. Right. That, okay. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm not just crazy. That was a little out of character. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't know if they're too many things. He's got kind of a... Hey, everything's great. He's like a Ken Kesey's kind of. Yeah, in he's, the eyes. He's eating his own mushrooms. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but it's a different side, and it's great to see Anthony Rapp be able to play a different side of the character and not just you no know, really mean PMSing uh, normal <laughs> Lieutenant Stamets. I'm honestly still really spooked by the end of the last episode. I know. Like, yeah, and the fact that they just floated it, and then no, we're not going to come back to that right away. I know. And then he was barely in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, a character who has barely been in previous episodes, but is seriously in this one is Admiral Cornwell. And I can finally get her name right. It's Cat- <laughs> Catherine uh, Cornwell, I believe. We learn more Cat. about her. Or Cat. Yeah, Cat for short. <laughs> we learn that she uh, was a psychiatrist or a psychologist previously mm-hmm. uh, and a doctor. And she um, they have a little Admiral sexy time. She gets close to... <laughs> To Captain Lorca. We find out that they probably were close previously. Yeah, the second he took out that liquor bottle, I was like, this is not going in a direction that I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> so not on board for shipping uh, Lorca and uh, Cornwell. Lork-well. He just, he freaks me out. <laughs> I do like uh... We talked about this before about how he's different than any other captain. Yeah. And he is, and like, he's a, obviously he's an interesting character, but like, I prefer to trust my star trek captains yeah i don't trust him at all like when she told him uh i'm taking the ship away i was like oh honey i hear a clock ticking and it's got your name on it i know and when she got on I that shuttle so... i was like "Ooh, what's gonna happen to that shuttle yeah i i'm yeah i'm very worried about like when Lorca's is gonna just snap because the thing with the phaser, like, under his pillow, and then the last shot where he still has it in his waistband. Yeah. I'm I'm not convinced that he has a handle on any situation oh, at so, all, ever. Yeah. What, what, what do you think the scar things are on his back? I have no idea. I thought it maybe was from just getting beaten up on the Klingon ship, but okay. I now that I think about it, it could be something else. Yeah, like, so much. Well, so much of their conversation has to do with past events. You know, their time yeah, together. Yeah, we don't know about um, the Buran. Yeah, so I thought maybe it had something to do with that, but I just wondered about the particular configuration. Like, why was it like a triangle and like a thing? Yeah, I didn't notice anything. About, I just saw the scars. I didn't notice anything about them, but yeah. I was kind of like, you know, we saw them screw with his eyes, but right, yeah. And it's it reveals a really dark side of of him. I like the fact that I mean, I, you know, we just said, like, I don't trust him. And I thought he was actually going to cross a line for, for real. But yeah, he definitely did through inaction by going, ah, oh, she's fine. Yeah. Oh, no, we can't. It's too dangerous to go rescue her right now because <laughs> he knows if he goes and rescues her, uh, he could lose his ship. So he is um, deciding to hold back uh, when normally he would, you know, rush where angels feel fear to tread. Yeah, I liked um Sar's reaction. Yeah, because Sar's like, oh, Captain, don't we, we do the thing. Alternative thinking yeah, this is we... to get around these problems, get out there Captain. Do... Yeah, right, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I he like seems the... fine with it. Yeah, I like the fact that even Sar is like, yeah, let's get up on the horse. Let's do this thing. And we're not going to we're not gonna just go get her without asking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, boy. Uh, yeah, so hopefully Admiral Sexy Time will come back because um, I actually really liked her character in this episode. Yeah, I did like when she was yelling at him after he pulled the phaser in bed. Yeah. Well, it was that great was- to see one character just say what we're all thinking, which is finally yeah. somebody sees that this guy is not put together. Like, he is he's yeah. losing it. I Yeah, I really enjoyed her just going off on him and then storming out. That was great. I mean, I was... It did make me a little sad, his reaction to her saying that she was going to you know, take the ship away. Oh, he, he was seemed, desperate. He seems so sad. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I, I did feel really bad, but I was also like, you're not okay. <laughs> right, yeah, no kidding. Uh, well, let's talk about the character that we tend to leave for the end of these shows. Uh, the main character, Michael Burnham, <laughs> in this episode, who has, uh, has an arc. I think it's somewhat of an abbreviated arc, but she does have an arc in this episode mm-hmm. and reconnects uh, with a traumatic memory of her past in Sarek's mind. I like the fact that they talk. I mean, the Vulcans can be so racist. And they were talking about how, oh, you've already got your little experiment and it's Spock, you know, and now you want to make another one and like. So what's what's going on with that? And you can tell I mean, you wonder why she acts the way she does in the beginning of the show. And you realize how alienated and how alone she must feel uh, more so than Spock probably ever did uh, having, you know, being in a, in a similar circumstance. It's so interesting to me to see how other Vulcans treat Sarek. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of the stuff we've seen with him, like in TOS is like. Oh, he's like Spock's estranged father and he's like a cranky Vulcan. Yeah. And we see Spock as somebody who's a little more, you know, like uh, loose with smirks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um I don't even I'm I'm really attached to Spock as a character. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> and so any scene in disco with Sarek that has anything to do with him and just has me like you know on the verge of tears <laughs> sure sure I think that this scene especially the scene you know in his mind the mind meld uh, really I'd have to give props to the writers because I think that the long game that they're playing is starting to kind of come out now um, you know at a show like TNG or even the original series you just kind of write week to week and then if something really sticks or is neat, you can kind of bring it back or mention it. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's sort of like sculpting the tiger. You take a block of marble and you cut away everything that doesn't look like a tiger. And so we've got a character that acts a certain way. And now it's being sort of revealed all the stations in their life that kind of creates and builds up this character. And I think that that's one of the reasons I really like this is because we are starting to see how we get the Michael Burnham that we have now and how she can hopefully kind of crawl out of being that Michael Burnham and be a better one. Yeah, definitely. Well, and before I had talked about how I didn't really like how it seemed like, especially um, on the Shenzo, that people were really pushing her to go back to being human and to leave what she had learned on Vulcan. And I thought that it was a little like, I mean, say what you will about them, like suppressing their emotions, but I feel like they're... um, like mental strength is really good. And I feel like as a human, you could learn a lot from being raised there, Yeah. but seeing how her acting like a Vulcan could come from a place like, well, when I was growing up, everyone was racist. So the more <laughs> I act like a Vulcan, the better Yeah. I can see now why, um, 
her people who care about her would want her to act more like a human just to act more like herself i guess yeah. And even the the, conf- the conflict that she has with the people who raised her, because she was raised by a Vulcan who I'm, she I think she knew cared about her, but t- couldn't show her love. And then there are members of his own race that try to blow her up because <laughs> they don't like her and they don't like the fact that she's being raised by a Vulcan. So she, yeah, oh boy, she should get with uh, with uh, Admiral Cornwell for a couple sessions. I think that would help. <laughs> um. Do you mind, uh, like, a spoiler about Burnham, little Burnham on Vulcan from David Mack's novel? I would say that if my listeners uh, don't want one, they should probably clip, plug their ears for 30 seconds. But I'll, <laughs> I'll take a little one, sure. He, um, Michael talks in the novel about how, um, well, I guess Spock and Michael talk about how much Amanda loved her. So Amanda on Vulcan really showed Michael like all the love and like especially like physical adoration like hugs that she couldn't show Spock because oh. Spock like was a Vulcan like is half Vulcan and so he was growing up in a way that all Vulcan kids did and if Amanda gave that to him then he would have even a harder time like in school and everything right. um already getting bullied for being half human right um and I just I think that that's interesting because Sarek obviously just raised her like a Vulcan right. and didn't isn't really taking into account that she is a human. And no matter how good she is at acting like a Vulcan, she's still a full human. Sure. So, I don't know, just watching this, it was interesting to see Sarek sort of arguing with Amanda and the way Michael interacted with Amanda like a little kid would with their mom, like, I want to go home, like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. And then Sarek saying, that's a human emotion, <laughs> like, knock it off. Right. And it, those, even those emotional impulses, you know, she clearly seemed like she was older, you know, like a young woman, but her emotional impulses would even be sort of underdeveloped because she's not really allowed to use them. So, you know, Alice in Wonderland is <laughs> is the type of gift that you might <laughs> give her. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I also like the fact that uh, they did a mind meld inside their mind meld. Yo, dog, I heard you <laughs> like mind melds. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, we should time it's a, We should check our threat ganglia. Uh, I don't think that I would have had Admiral Cornwall on the big board for not dying necessarily, but definitely going down this week. So who do you think is going to hit the uh, big holodeck in the sky uh, in future episodes? Cornwall. <laughs> Cornwall. Okay. Yeah, probably. I didn't. The second they were like, yeah, let's just send, like, literally a representative from, like, the organization they're actually at war with. Right. Instead of somebody just from Vulcan. That seems smart. <laughs> like, why didn't they send another ambassador from Vulcan? Right. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe he'd get blown up again. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And plus, okay, so the Vulcans are fanat- or the Vulcan extremists or fanatics or whatever are the way they are. They they don't want the war of the Vulcans, right? Like I get that you want to kill Sarek, but maybe wait till he closes this deal. Yeah, it was an interesting time to strike right, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would put uh, I'd still put Doctor Culber on the board there. Um, I think it's <laughs> probably going to be later rather than sooner, but I yeah I, I think his days are probably numbered as well. 
Um, you have insight into, uh, if not where the stories are going, but where they've been, as you just proved with your knowledge of Desperate Hours. Are you, look- <laughs> are you looking forward to Drastic Measures? So much. Yeah. You haven't managed to get your hands on like a galley copy or something like that yet? I haven't. <laughs> Work your connections. Come on. Um, you know, actually this weekend, um, I turned to my dad and I was like, if I ask you one question about discovery, will you answer it? Just one. And he like ignored me. And then I was like, dad, just one question. And he was like, I'm not going to tell you anything, (laughs) (laughs) which I expected, but I wanted just one thing. Yes. Well, you you can, (laughs) you can aspire. I don't, I don't have any insight except for (laughs) what's already out here for the rest of us, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, uh, I say you uh, work real hard all your life. You become amazingly uh, successful and rich, and then you can just buy it out of them. You can just say, Dad, I'll give you a million dollars if you tell me. That sounds like a perfect plan. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, works. That's what it's for. Uh, and, well, I guess you could find out with the rest of us uh, when the book comes out on, I believe it's uh, February 6th of next year. Yeah, I will I will be at Barnes & Noble and or <laughs> receiving it in the mail the day right. of, thanks to Amazon Both. Prime. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, well, that's pretty much it for our show this week. Uh, do you have any other thoughts about the episode that you wanted to share with us? I just, I love any episode centered around Vulcan. I can't say it enough. Sure. It's so cool. And I love watching Sonequa Martin-Green um, act like a human who's grown up on Vulcan. And I actually said this when they released the first trailer. I was like, she is acting like a Vulcan raised on Earth or a human raised on Vulcan. Right. And I just, she's so phenomenal. Yeah, there's a lot of nuances that really come out yeah. that are great. Well, uh, I want to say thanks for joining us to our listeners. Uh, if you like what you hear here, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EISTpod for updates and to get notified when new episodes of both Enterprising Individuals and Discoverage, this show, come out. And you can tweet to us on the show by using the hashtag Discoverage. Also, while you're on that Internet, if it's working, unlike CBS All Access, <laughs> why not head to your listening platform of choice, be it Apple Podcast or Stitcher or Google Play, and you can subscribe to the show, give us a rating and review if you think of it. because that really helps us out and if you really like the show tell a friend join us next week when we talk about the seventh episode of star trek discovery magic to make the sanest man go mad Ooh, (laughs) and it looks like it's a time loop episode every trek series has to do a time loop type episode I'm so excited to see more of Harry Mudd. And Harry Mudd has returned yes so God knows how he's mixed up in the entire thing (laughs) Uh, Ella, I want to thank you for joining me again on the show. It's been a delight. Oh, thank you. Uh, remind people where you, they can find you online. Um, you can find me at generationsgeek.com, at generationsgeek on, on Instagram and Twitter. And um, you can find our upcoming podcast very soon if uh, you use uh, Apple Podcasts. You can find it on there at The Chronic Rift. Um, otherwise, you can find the link on our website later. Sounds great. Thanks again for joining me. Thanks for listening, listeners. And we're signing off. This is Aaron for Ella saying live long and prosper.